verse 13. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on, to, on, to, on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appear for a little time and then vanished away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Now I ask all the men to come up. This morning, James chapter 4, we'll be covering verse 13 down to verse 17. And if you have a piece of paper, if you'll drop that into Psalm chapter 90. Psalm 90 will be coming there later, but today we'll be coming out of the book of James chapter 4 and covering verses 13 down to verse 17. James has been writing to believers, and I know that because nowhere in this epistle of James, five chapters, does he tell us how to come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just assuming that his readers are believers. He does say, however, all throughout the the book, and we might even say this would be kind of the theme of the book, is examine your faith. He gives us throughout this epistle, he gives us ten different tests. We've already seen seven of them. Today will be the eighth test. I'll just kind of walk through them right quickly. In chapter 1, verse 2, he he said, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. All the different kinds of trials that come up in the life of a believer, and perhaps that first test of the ten might, might be worded this way. Do you find joy in the midst of trials. And the reason you would find joy is because you know that this is an opportunity for God to grow me in my faith, for others to be encouraged in their walk, and for me to see that God's bigger than my problems. Uh, And so the first test, do I find joy in the midst of trials? And then in verse 19 down to verse 27, do you only hear the Word of God, or do you hear and do? Do you only hear the word or do you hear and do? And then chapter 2, verse 1 down to verse 13, uh, do you play favoritism? Do you try to hold on to the faith of the Lord of glory, the one who left his throne room in heaven to come down, put aside the robes of royalty and take on the robes of flesh that come with frailty and mortality. Do you try to hold on to that kind of faith and still play favoritism? Because favoritism is the way that the world does. You cannot do that. Fourth test. Chapter 2, verse 14 down to verse 26. Do you say that you're a believer, but your actions say something else? Because faith without works, is dead. There should be actions that are accompanying your faith. There's a change that happened, a transformation that happened on the inside, and that's going to show up on the outside. Fifth test is in chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Are you able to control your tongue? Believers 
True believers should be striving and noticing when they mess up with their mouth and should be apologizing and making things right with their brothers and sisters in Christ and striving to control their tongue. Because if you control your tongue, you can control the rest of your body. Chapter 3 and verse 13 to 18, the sixth test. Do you live by earthly wisdom or do you live by heavenly wisdom? Seventh test, chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Are you changed by the gospel or are you controlled by your lust? From whence cometh wars and fighting amongst you? It comes from the lusts that are in your members, within your body, your body desires, and so you grab after it, and if you have to, you'll kill. And today we come into the eighth test. The eighth test is found in chapter 4, verses 13 down to verse 17. This eighth test, do you live as though God does not ordain the affairs of your life? Or another way to say that is, do you act like you control your own life? Do you live your life as though you're the one who controls everything? When I was in high school, I had to memorize a poem. Me and my classmates, or I should say my classmates and I, had to memorize a poem. And that poem was entitled Invictus by William Ernest Henley. It's a very famous poem. I'll just quote portions of it. It says this, Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquered soul. He goes on to make this statement, It matters not how straight the gate or how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my own fate. I am the captain of my own soul. That's the way the world thinks. And friend, I want to tell you this. It doesn't matter if you think that you stand at the helm of the ship of your life. You are not in control. He is. He is ultimately in control of all things. In His sovereignty, He has the right to rule over the universe. And in His providence, He will. And today, I want to have a look at this passage, and I've titled it, The Providence of God and the Brevity of Life. The Providence of God and the Brevity of Life. And I plan on defining both of those, but essentially the providence of God is the way in which God ordains your life and brings people into your life. And the brevity, the shortness, that's the word brevity, it just literally means the shortness of your life, like a vapor, as we've seen in the Scripture reading. Three sections, we'll dive into the first one. We'll see how the world lives. This is how the world lives. Verse number 13. Go to now... You that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. He opens with that phrase, go to now. And in our modern English, that phrase, go, literally would mean go. And it almost seems like, why would you tell somebody to go so that you can talk to them? The phrase, that's an old English phrase, when someone said, go to now, the the meaning, what they really meant was, come on now, let's reason this out. So when he says, go to now, he's not saying, get out of here because I'm trying to say something. No, he said, come here, let's sit down and think about this. So this is a logical discussion. Go to now, or come on now, let's sit down and think about this, is the way that he says. The way that the world thinks, you that say... 
Come on now, you that say today or tomorrow, we're going to go into that city and we're going to buy or sell and we're going to have profit from it. He says, don't you understand there's a flaw in your logic? And the flaw is shown in verse number 14. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. You have no idea what is to come. You don't know. I remember the fastest trip I ever made to the USA. I make more trips to the USA than I care to. And I'll just be transparent. It's not in the same place that I grew up in. It is different now. And so it does not have an allure to me. I made a trip to the U.S. It was, I was on the ground in the USA for three days. It took me more time to travel and get there and come back than I was on the ground there. I was there for three days. That was February of 2020. There were two reasons that that, short, that trip was short. One, I was by myself. I was recruiting teachers to come and teach at SPIA. I wanted to go there and get back. I did not have my wife with me. The second reason was because it was February 2020. And if you remember what happened in March 2020, that was on the horizon. February of 2020, I went, and I remember getting on the plane in Brisbane, and this was the first time that anything was being said in airlines about this thing called COVID-19. It was making the news and that this illness was starting to spread around the world, but it wasn't in every country at that point. And I remember getting on the plane, and as I got on the plane, the flight attendant was standing there with a box of face masks. That was my introduction to face masks as normal things. And there she stood with a box of face masks, and I took one, and I actually took a selfie and put it on. I put it on and took a selfie, sent it to my wife, and I said, I guess this is the new normal. And I did not have to have it on. I just took the picture, and I took it back off, put it in my bag, little did I know. And I did race back home because things were starting to close down around the world. And as I arrived back in PNG, I knew it was a matter of just days before the doors would close here as well. And you know what the rest of the story looked like. Go to now, you who think. I'll go to that city and I'll stay there for a, a, a while, a year. I'll buy and I'll sell and I'll make a profit. And he's poking holes in your story. He says, don't you know that you have no idea what tomorrow holds? You say, I'll go to that city. I spend, personally, I spend an inordinate amount of time doing paperwork to help people get into Papua New Guinea. I help teachers, I help missionaries, I help friends. Uh, just this last week, I helped the, the guy that's going to be the guest speaker for the uh, National Pastors Conference, helped him to be able to get into the country. Just at the last second, everything seems to not go right, and I just help him get that paperwork in an inordinate amount of time because somebody thinks I'm going to just go there. And James goes, you don't know. I think I'll go there and I'll buy and sell. Could you imagine an expatriate thinking that he'll come to Port Moresby and set up in the beetle nut trade? You think you'll go to that city and you'll buy and you'll sell. Good luck! Can you just imagine an expatriate guy set up a booth down at Gobby? He, maybe he heard, that's great sales. I don't know about it. You can sell. I know that I can sell this green nut. I don't know anything about it. There's cultural implications there, friend. You don't just go there and do this. 
That's what James is poking holes at. You think you can go to that city and you can do it on your own? You think that you can buy and sell? You think you can get a profit? You think that you can control the prices? You don't know what tomorrow holds. You see, the world thinks, I can just do my life the way that I want to do my life. And the world forgets that there's something bigger going on. In Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1, Solomon writes, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day might bring forth. And James is not saying don't make plans. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the world makes plans that don't involve God. That's the problem. The problem is not that you've made business plans. Making plans is perfectly fine, but you better make your plans and expecting that God can do whatever He wants to. He might bring in a COVID-19 and close borders in ways that none of us have ever seen in our, in our lifetime. And He might bring some natural disaster along, like Itape, that you did not expect. You see, God can do whatever He pleases. And so... Be careful living the way that the world lives, thinking God doesn't exist. And if we're, all, if we're honest with ourselves, before I go to the second point this morning, if I'm honest, we're honest with ourselves, I believe that a lot of professing believers, professing Christians, live the same way. We get up in the morning... No ascent to God, no time in prayer, no time in His Word. We just get up, grab something to eat for breakfast, quickly on the way out the door, jump on the bus, stick some earbuds in our ear, we'll listen to some music, or we'll act like we're listening to some music. And on to the workplace we go. We punch in, we're there, we shuffle some papers around, we come back to the house, and the day has gone by and we've never given a fleeting glance to the fact that He is in control of all things. That's the way the world lives. Brings me to the second thing. This is what the world refuses to accept. Verse 13 again. Go to now, you that say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. The world does not like to hear those words. The world does not like to hear the words that their life is just a vapor. Listen to the words of the psalmist. Here's Psalm 39 and verse 5. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, and mine age as, as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity, Selah. Whenever in the book of Psalms you come across the word Selah, it's meant to be a pause. And remember that the Psalms were meant to be sung. We don't sing them. They did. And that was meant to be a pause. And the idea was you would sing the line and then Selah, pause, reflect what you've just sung. So let me pause. We're not going to sing it, and you're welcome. I won't sing it for you. Uh, but I, I will read it again. I want you to listen to the words because we're supposed to think about it. Behold, thou, God, hast made my days as a hand breadth, and mine age as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Think on this. You've made my days to be as a 
hand breadth. In other words, God does not look upon your days and say, oh look, this one, he came into the world in 1960 and he made it all the way to 2023. No, he didn't think that way and doesn't speak that way. God made it as though in his eyes, our life is not arms stretched out, but a hand breadth. He saw your start and he saw your finish and that's it. Just the hand breadth. Mine age is as nothing before thee. James chapter 4 and verse 14 uses the phrase, what is your life? It is even a vapor that's there for a little while and it vanishes away. And I think of in the mornings, we don't get it so much here, but if you're from the highlands, you would know what I'm talking about. In the morning, there's just that little bit of mist that's there. You get up in the morning, and by the time you've broken the firewood and you started the fire, already that mist is gone. Blue sky, and now the sun's shining upon you. Where did it go? I don't know. It's just gone. Or, or those of us that are here on the coast might m- more, be more familiar with the vapor that comes off of the hot tea. And, and the tea kettle pours the hot water into the cup, and there is the vapor that comes off the top. It's there, it appears for a very little time, and then it's gone. I can't help but laugh when I hear a nine-year-old, ten-year-old talking amongst themselves, and they say things like, back when I was little. I can't help but laugh about that. And I know that I jokingly say things like, I'm so old now at 44, and some of you that are well past 44 probably get a good chuckle at that too. But I can't help but think, God the words of Psalm 39, 5, Mine age is as nothing before thee. He looks upon even those who are considered old among us. And he says, I am the Ancient of Days. Your life is but fleeting, just a vapor. No matter how important you think you are, friend, I've got bad news for you. The globe will continue to spin after you're gone. It does not matter how important you are, life will continue to go on after you're gone. That's not a very exciting sermon, is it? Think with me of perhaps what are the greatest things that could happen to remember your life? Well, maybe they'll give you a public holiday. And years from now, will the reason for the public holiday even be remembered? I'll give an example from our own history. Sir Hubert Murray. We've got a stadium named after him, a school named after him, barracks named after him, a road named after him. But what do we really know about Sir Hubert Murray? What color were his eyes? How many children did he have? When he was behind closed doors, what was his temperament like? How much do we really know? And do you realize he's been dead for less than 100 years? What is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Hold your place here in James and then come over to the book of Psalms with me. Psalm chapter 90. We'll come back to James 4 in just a moment. 
Psalm chapter 90. I want to point out a couple of verses here. This psalm is unique in that it's not David that wrote it. Moses is the one that wrote Psalm 90. You might remember Moses' life, 40 years in Pharaoh's palace, and then 40 years as he wandered around in the desert taking care of his father-in-law's sheep, and then another 40 years leading the people of Israel out from Egypt and slavery, 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness before getting to Canaan land. He did not get to go in. Joshua led the people. Three segments of 40 years, any one of those we would say was a lifetime in itself. And here's what he has to say, and this is Psalm chapter 90 and verse 1. Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Kind of a side note here as I think about Moses, the guy who was in Pharaoh's palace for 40 years knowing this is not my place, says, God, you are my dwelling place. And 40 years as he wanders around leading sheep, and he says, God, you are my dwelling place. And 40 years as he leads the people of Israel while they complain, God, you are my dwelling place. Poor guy did not have a place to rest his head as he traveled for all those years. And he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Not were God, but are God. From everlasting to everlasting. And he makes mention of the mountains before the mountains were brought forth. And I think that probably the mountains for us is one of those things that we can say is somewhat timeless. For the We stand at Burns Peak and look across up towards the northern side into those ranges. We look up into the mountain ranges and we say, those predate us. And do you realize that our grandparents and their grandparents stood there and looked across and saw the very same mountains And from generation to generation, those mountains have not changed. And by and large, the generations that will come after us will also look at those mountains. But before the mountains were ever formed, God is. He is outside of that time. He is the one who called it into existence. He's the one who formed the mountains before they ever were. Now verse 3, Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, you children of men, for a thousand years are in thy sight, or as but yesterday when it is past, as a watch in the night. Do you understand that God counts in the thousands of years? You and I think a hundred is much. He counts in the thousands. He's the Ancient of Days. And He says your life in His view, is but a vapor, appears for a little while, and then vanishes away. Come down to verse number 10. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. That's seventy. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, that's eighty. Yet is our strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knows the power of thine anger, Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. You might get 70 years, 
And if you're a very strong person, you might get 80. But in the sight of God, that is but a handbreadth. Fleeting. Charles Spurgeon preached this passage. When he was 57 years old, he preached the passage of James chapter 4, What is your life? It's even a vapor. He preached it at 57 years old. Within a year, he himself passed away. And these are the words that he said, and I want you to hear these words that he said in that sermon. He said this, All men count all men mortal. But in their hearts, they would make exception in their own case. Oh, how true this is. Everybody recognizes that everybody dies. But nobody wants that to be true about themselves. All men count all men mortal. I have no problem understanding that everybody else will die, but I have a big problem thinking that I would. Oh, friend, the world does not like to think this way. So, Lord, teach us, he says in verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Come with me back to James chapter 4. We'll see how a true believer should live. This is James chapter 4 and verses 15 down to verse 17. We'll see how a true believer should live. Verse number 15. For that you ought to say. You see why now I say this is how a true believer should live. You ought to say. If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I see two major ways that we should live as believers according to these three verses. Two major ways. First one, humbly acknowledge the providence of God. Humbly acknowledge the providence of God in your life. Now, we've spoken in months past about sovereignty and providence. And I'm going to take a minute just to explain them again because it's important for us to understand what is the providence of God. If I'm going to acknowledge the providence of God, then what does that even mean? I'll just remind you, the sovereignty of God, sovereignty comes from the word sovereign. It has to do with the fact that He is the King, the Sovereign. We have that word. Yes, we have sovereignty of a nation. The nation has the ability to do its own, make its own decisions aside from the input of other nations. The sovereignty of a king. The king is in charge of the nation. He gets to make the decisions that he wants to make. Sovereignty of God. He is over all things. He's sovereign of the universe. He's in charge of all things. By Him all things consist. He holds all things together. From the top of Mount Everest to the bottom of the Marianas Trench in the Pacific Ocean, He's sovereign over all of the earth. From the minuscule little molecules all the way up to the giant organism of the blue whale that's longer than this room is, He is sovereign over all. Friend, I hope that you grasp this this morning. He's in control. And He has the right to be in control. If He created you, He's in charge of you. And He has the right to control you. The providence of God is how He does it. 
and you can hear it in the word providence, the word provide. How does he do that? With his providential hand, he steers the affairs of your life. We have no problem with saying the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he, he turns it every which way he wills. We have no problem saying that. But sometimes we have a problem saying, yes, he controls my life also. You know why we have a problem with that? Because we want to say, well, I have a free will and I can do what I want to do. Be careful elevating your free will over his sovereignty. He is in charge and He will do all things well. The good news is, friend, when He turns your life one direction and you say, I don't like it, the good news is, and we know that He works all things together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. So even in those moments when you say, it goes against my will, I want to remind you that it is for your good. This is the providence of God. How He does this. And so in his providence, you might think that it was just a chance accident that you met someone. No, that was his providence as he brought them into your life. Or you might think that it was your hard work that got you into university. But you have no idea what God has been doing in His providence to bring things together, to put a certain teacher in your life who helps you to excel in a class that you would not have normally excelled in, and bring someone else into your life to help you to fund your way. You see, you did not get there of your own volition. No, God in His providence brought you to that point. You might think that you are the master of your own fate, but He's the one that gave you your breath and caused your heart to beat within your chest. You are but fleeting, frail, vapor, hand breath. In His providence, you continue to breathe and move and have your being. So go to now, you who would say, I'll go into that city and buy and sell and make profit... Come on, you won't do anything apart from His providence. And so how are you to live as a believer? Acknowledge, humbly acknowledge His providence in your life. His ways are good and His purposes will always be fulfilled. Hear me say that again. His ways are good and His purposes will always be fulfilled. Hear the words of Proverbs 19, verse 21. There are many devices in the man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. There are many devices in the man's heart. Man says, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and this is how I'm going to do this. But God's counsel will stand, no matter what your plan was. Uh, Here's another one. This is Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 to 11. Verse 9, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I'm God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. He's sovereign over your life. And He's providentially working all things for your good. 
Calling, he says in verse 11, calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. I'll bring, these are his words, I'll bring a ravenous bird into your life if I need to, or I'll bring a wicked king from a far country to perform my purposes in your life. Yea, I have spoken it, I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, I will also do it. You see, God is sovereign over all things, and the good news for us, brethren, is that He is providential as well, and He does it for our good. And in the midst of His doing it for our good, He gets glory for it. So humbly acknowledge the providence of God in your life. So how do you do that? Verse 15, James 4, verse 15. For that you ought to say... If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. How do I humbly acknowledge the providence of God in my life? I add into my vocabulary a phrase, if the Lord wills. Not next week we're doing youth camp, but next week if the Lord wills, we'll do youth camp. Do you see just a slight change of vocabulary so that we can humbly acknowledge the fact that if He wills it differently, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If the Lord wills. It's a phrase that should be a part of our vocabulary. And you get to see it all throughout the Apostle Paul's life. He exemplified it very well. I'll give you two of them. We were recently in Romans 15 as he was making statements. I'm going to come and visit you if the Lord wills. Here's the, here's the words that he said in Romans 15 verse 32. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may be with you refreshed. If God would allow it, I would like to come and see you. He said it again. Here's another one. This is only two out of many. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 19. I will come to you shortly if the Lord will. It would be good for us, brothers and sisters, to add this into our vocabulary. If it's not already a part of your vocabulary, take the words and the admonition of James chapter 4 and verse 15, but that you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Nothing wrong with saying, I'm going to go into a city and buy and sell and make profit. I'm going to run a business if the Lord will. What I'm doing is I'm humbly acknowledging that He's the one that's providential in my life. I'm not living practically like an atheist. You know what I mean, right? Uh, Practically speaking... A man who lives as though God does not ordain his life is a one who might as well be saying there is no God. So don't live like a practical atheist. Live humbly, acknowledging the providence of God. There's a negative version to this in verse 16. Verse 16, this is James 4, verse 16. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. The negative way to say this would be like this. Don't brag about your future. Don't brag about your future. You see that in verse 16. You rejoice in your boastings. Uh, A literal translation of that would be, you glory in your pride. You rejoice, you elevate, 
You get excited about your boastings. That word boastings is only, the, the, the word that's originally written is, is only used two times in the New Testament. Once it's translated here as boasting. The other time it's translated, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, it's translated as the pride of life. The trilogy of sin. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And so here he says, says, you rejoice in your boasting, the pride of your life. You're bragging about what you're going to do. Look at me and what I'm going to do. He goes, don't do that. Don't brag about your future. You have no idea what your future will hold. You have no idea, but what in the middle of a sermon, your heart starts ticking in the way it's not supposed to. You have no idea what might happen in your life. Accident, vehicle accident, no idea what might be coming in your life. Don't brag about your future. A few years ago, I remember standing, we were at an amusement park, and I, I remember standing behind a couple of boys, and the two boys were talking to each other. I don't remember, they're maybe 10, 12 years old, these two boys talking to each other. I think maybe, they were, uh, maybe they were cousins or friends or something. These two boys are talking, and, and before you know it, these two boys start, get into an argument. And the one boy, he said something kind of mean to the other boy. And the other boy, he said, said, you watch your mouth. Don't talk to me like that. You're talking to a future policeman. And and I might just come back and arrest you. (laughs) I'm standing behind him. I couldn't help it. This is hilarious. Do continue on, boys, because I can't wait where this is going. Don't boast yourself of tomorrow. And while they're 12 years old boasting of their future, oh, how often you and I do the very same thing. I'm going to go into that city and I'm going to buy and sell and I'm going to make gain and this is how it's going to go. But that you ought to speak if the Lord wills. Humbly acknowledge the providence of God. Second one, verse number 17. I'll say it and then I'll read it. Act right immediately and live intentionally. Here's verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I've often heard this verse taken completely out of context and used in a very different way. But I want to place it within its context, and I know that it fits in this context because of the word therefore at the beginning of the, word, at the, beginning of the verse. Verse 17, therefore. So the therefore lets us know it is connected to the words that were immediately preceding it. And immediately preceding it was the fact that there are people in the world who live as though God does not exist. And you and I as believers should live as though God exists. And we should humbly acknowledge that He is in control of the affairs of my life. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it's sin. And in other words, live right immediately. Do it immediately. Don't, well, I know that this is the right thing that I'm supposed to do, but I'm just, I'll do it later. No, no, no. If you know that you're supposed to do right, then do it. Do it immediately. And the other part of this is do it intentionally. Be thinking this is the way that I'm supposed to live and this is the way I'm supposed to be doing my life. I wonder if you live your life with intentionality. I wonder how you approach life. I think like this. Some people live like firefighters and others live like carpenters. Here's what I mean. Some people let life happen to them 
and they run around putting out fires in their life. Christian, it shouldn't be that way. Now listen, I, I'm not putting down firefighters, okay? Firefighters serve a good purpose in, in our society. But if you're not a firefighter, don't act like one. And here's what I mean. You just let life happen. And when you let life happen, there's a problem over here. And so you rush to it. Adrenaline rush happens with that. You feel real important as you put the fire out. But then when you put the fire out, you're done. You don't have something else to do. So then you wait for the next fire. You race over here and put this fire out and knock that fire down. And you race over here and put this fire out and you race over there. Do you know what I mean when I say put the fires out? It's junk just happening. And you're just running over here and then put this fire out and then run over there and put that fire out. But instead, you know what I like about carpenters? Carpenters like to build things. Again, I'm not putting firefighters down, but can you just imagine if you spent your whole life just looking for fires so you can just put out fires? No, what if you spent your whole life building things? And another example of this is over the years, we have learned that during the dry season, fires come through this area. If you live in an area in town that doesn't get the fires, may the Lord bless you. You have no idea what we put up with. But on this campus... During the wet season, the stuff grows. And then during the dry season, that stuff is waiting to burn. And inevitably, someone without a brain starts a fire that way. And if you've been out here and seen those fires run, you'll understand what I mean. The wind, this time of year, the wind is just coming this way. And somebody goes along the side of the road, got nothing better to do with their life, and they start a fire on the side of the road. They have no idea what kind of headaches they just created for the rest of the people that were downwind. If that's you, stop it. <laughs> but what we have learned is that by keeping the grass cut around here, the fire dies when it makes it to the fence line. If the grass is not cut, however, I have vivid memories of days past when we did not have the property the way it is. We've gone through and just about the entire property, we've graded almost everything and had a roller go over it so that we can run mowers over it. And we keep the grass cut around here. We keep the grass short for a couple of reasons. One, it keeps the snakes away. And back when there was long grass, there were heaps of snakes. And the other reason is because of the fires. And I have vivid memories of myself and Brother Eric up on the top corner of the property trying to keep the fire from burning the rain tanks. All of the water tanks were up there, and the flames were so high. And at one point, Brother Eric and I coughing, and we're back behind the tanks, and we just said, well, Lord, that's it. We can't fight it anymore. It's done beat us. At that time, we were running around fighting fires, fighting fires. But then something happened when we started intentionally taking care of the place. Intentionally, we're cutting the grass. And now I'll tell you, something happens when a fire comes along. Oh, the, those expatriate teachers, they all get worked up about it. They call me, Pastor, there's a big fire. We should get Brother Paul out here. He can put it out with the truck. And I just sit back on the side and I, it, it'll be okay. You know why? Because I already know the grass is short on our side. It'll die. It'll make it to the fence line. Yeah, the fence will get burned. It's okay. 
But the inside, nothing's going to happen. It'll be okay. Why? Because you live intentionally. And in your life, brothers and sisters, I wonder if you're living your life intentionally. Do you get up in the morning and intentionally say, if the Lord wills, this is what I'm going to do today. I'm going to spend time in the Word. I'm going to let His Word soak into me today. I'm going to spend time in prayer today. I'm going to intentionally set a direction and a path for my day. Oh, friend, fires still come, but they're not as big a deal when you're living intentionally. So then we ought to say, if the Lord will, we'll do this or we'll do that. And when we know what is right to do, we'll do it. Let me close by coming back to verse 14. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Christian friend, this morning, I wonder what you're doing with that little time. What are you doing while you're acknowledging His will in your life? While you're going through life, are you building up other believers? Are you strengthening the church? Every one of us in the book of Ephesians fitly framed together. Are you doing everything that you can to strengthen the body of Christ? Are you intentionally doing right according to verse 17? Are you just letting it happen? And can I encourage you this morning, live with intentionality. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer... The day will come when your life is complete. Can I place a warning in your ears this morning? If you're not a believer, you've not put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that fleeting life will be over. The Bible is very clear that when we die, you end up going to one of two places. Either you go to be with the Lord God in heaven, eternal, bliss with Him. In His presence, there can never be anything greater than that. Or, eternal separation from Him in the lake of fire, and there can be nothing worse than that. And that juncture of where you go is completely decided upon what you do with the Lord Jesus Christ. This life is but a vapor. You have no promise of tomorrow. I promise, almost every one of us in this room can think of someone whose vapor disappeared at a younger age than you are now. What is your life? It's fleeting. And in this fleeting life, God gives you the opportunity to hear things like the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross and took your sin. He took the wrath of God upon Himself so that you would not have to have His wrath. And the Lord Jesus makes it so easy. He says, if you'll but trust in Him, He'll give you eternal life. Your fleeting vapor of a life, the handbreadth before God, that moment in eternity is the opportunity for you to put your trust in the Lord Jesus and to be made right with Him so that you can have everlasting life with Him. And so I'm going to close this morning with a practical invitation this morning. What have you done with this fleeting moment? What are you doing 
with this handbreadth of your life. I'll ask you to bow in prayer with me, and then we'll give an invitation. Father, I pray this morning that we would take serious this challenge. How can I go through my life and think that I control my own life? Lord, you are the one that has a will. And in your providence, you've brought this group of people together this morning so that we can hear that our life is but a vapor. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do his divine work as he draws those of us that are believers to live intentionally, acknowledging the providence of God. But then, Lord, I also pray that your Holy Spirit would do His work drawing those who have not put their trust in the Lord Jesus, that you would draw those people to Himself. 